Take out your Bibles. We're going to start a new uh, series in the Thessalonians. So if you have a list, that's going to be tough for you to say. Thessalonians. First and second Thessalonians. So find where that is. Now here's... Um, well, I'll get to it later on. Um, so first, it says... The, the books are entitled First and Second Thessalonians. These were two letters, two separate letters that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And apparently, there's still a town, Thessaloniki, uh, that, this, that basically was the same town, the same city. Um, so a, lot, a lot of them, obviously, are no longer in, like Ephesus, is no longer, just ruins now, but Thessaloniki is still a city. Um, we're going to do an introduction today. So this is going to be, as I always say, whenever we, whenever we start a new series in a book, I want to do an introduction and I want to do an overview. I want us to get to know the books rather than jumping right into the text. Um, I, I want us to do an introduction and, and get to know these books a little bit better uh, before we do that. So that's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be somewhat academic, I guess you could say, uh, but it's, it's, I think it's necessary for us to, to have a, a background and a foundation before we a- actually start interpreting the text and going through the text together. So f- four things I want you to know uh, about Thessalonians. Um, applies to both of them, but primarily 1 Thessalonians. One of the oldest New Testament books that we have. Um, probably dated anywhere from 49 to 50 AD. And, and if we t- take Christ's death, roughly was 33 AD. This is 17, what, 17 to 20 years uh, from Christ's death. So very early on. So it's, it's an old book, but it's early. The only New Testament book that probably is earlier, that may be earlier, is the book of James. But in terms of the Pauline letters, in terms of the letters that Paul wrote, this is his earliest. This was his first. Um, Second Thessalonians was probably anywhere, probably nine months to a year later. So they're both um, very, very old or early, depending upon how you look at it. Number two, it's, it's one of the shortest New Testament books. Okay, so I, I did some math. Um, First Thessalonians uh, has 89, or I'm sorry, yeah, 89 verses. Second Thessalonians has 47 verses. So if I added that up right, that's 136 verses. And if you could read a verse in 15 seconds, on an, an average verse in 15 seconds, that means you can read First and thank you, Isaiah. That means you could read First and Second Thessalonians. And anywhere from 30 to 35 minutes. So here's, when I, here's your homework assignment. I want you to begin reading First and Second Thessalonians every day, or as much as you can, once a day. That's 30 minutes, 35 minutes. Um, and familiarize yourself with, the, with these books. Every day. And you say, well, I can only I can read it once and I got it. You'll be, you'll be surprised if you keep reading it new things that will come to light. So that's your homework assignment. I'm going to give you another one, but that's one of your homework assignments. Eight, it's, it's only 136 verses, 15 seconds. Now, Sam probably reads a verse in five seconds, so that puts him at, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, one of the shortest New Testament books. Number three, it's one of the easiest New Testament books to understand. In other words, you'll find that as you, as you begin reading through First and Second Thessalonians, 
there's really no complicated theology. It, it is not like reading Galatians and you know in the allegory between you know Sarah and, and Hagar, and, and it's not like reading Romans with you know with the, the deep you know complicated theology that you got to unpack and. Um, it's, it's not like that at all. It is, it, is, it is one of the easiest New Testament books to read and to understand. Now, to be sure, there is a chapter in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that is controversial. Not controversial, but a lot of differing opinions on who the man of sin is. But by and large, it, it, it's a, it's a, these are very easy books to read and understand. In other words, there's really no complicated theology there's theology, but no complicated theology in this book. They're simple. They're clear. Let me give you an example. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And I'm going to ask you to interpret this verse for me. Everybody turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, would someone please interpret that verse for me? Abstain from sexual immorality. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's simple. Uh, you don't have to do a Greek word study. Um, you don't have to really consult a, a commentary. That, that's pretty simple. I want you to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, we can talk about all the different forms of sexual immorality, but it's simple. It's clear. Uh, and, and that is the, kind of the nature of First Thessalonians. It's amazing to me, the same author who can pen Romans and Galatians also pens 1 Thessalonians. He didn't, he didn't write the same way to every church. So, it's one of the oldest New Testament books. One of the shortest. It is the shortest New Testament book. One of the easiest New Testament books to understand. Not complicated theology. Number four, it's one of the most practical New Testament books, other than maybe James. It, 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 you're going to find that in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, we're going to deal with a wide variety of topics. I kind of This is not all-inclusive, but some of the things that we're going to look at. Suffering, persecution, prayer, moral purity, the role of spiritual leaders, dealing with difficult people, and more. So, it's kind of a broad overview. It's simple, it's old, it's easy to understand, very practical. All right. Now, what's the background for these books? Turn to Acts chapter 17. If you remember our, our study through Acts, Acts 17. And remember, when through Acts, I told you that Acts really is the historical spine for the rest of the New Testament, for the most part, certainly for the Pauline letters. Um, so, the letters that we're going to study, First and Second Thessalonians, really came shortly after Acts 17. Acts 17. Then they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went to the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous and they brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. 
When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has received them as guests. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The Jews stirred up the crowd, and the city officials heard these things. And so taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Now, upon reading uh, this, these uh, what is it, nine verses, it, it would appear as though Paul was only there for a short period of time. And we, we know, and it said that he, he did, he, he went into the synagogue on three Sabbaths. So, typically people think, well, he was only there for a very short time, that he was only there for three weeks. Um, this is probably not the case. And, and there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, number one, uh, we, we know that while Paul was in Thessalonica, he got a job. Uh, keep your marker here and turn back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 9. 2-9. He writes to the, that church and he says, For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden uh, to any of you as we preached God's gospel to you. So he was there at least long enough to get a job. He was self-supporting. So he was in Thessalonica at least long enough to work. We, we know that in 2 Thessalonians 3.8, Turn over to 2 Thessalonians 3.8. Uh, you know how I do things. 7. Uh, for, you, for you yourselves know how you, that you must imitate us. We were not irresponsible among you. We're not idle or undisciplined. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and struggled, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So he was lo- he was in Thessalonica long enough to get some kind of a job. Uh, now we know that he was a tent maker. Did he did he do that? We don't know, but he was self supporting. So he was at least in Thessalonica long enough uh, to to support himself. In addition to that, we know that he had received at least two special gifts from the church in Philippi. So Philippi, um, I, I kind of looked on a map. Uh, walking at a certain... I, I, it's at least five days away. So, if he had received two special gifts from Philippi, it had, it had to be a longer period of time than just three weeks, it would seem to me. N- number two, or three, I guess, depending on your county. When he left, the church seemed to be thriving. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. We know and, uh, in, in 2 Thessalonians he talks about the love that they had for one another and, 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 and the, the fellowship that they were enjoying. It, doesn't, it just doesn't have the flavor of, of a group of people who've just come out of synagogue. Um, but that, that when he left Thessalonica, the church was, seemed to be very well established and thriving. Um, so, um, that's the background. I, I, I read up on Thessalonica. It, is, it was an important seaport. Apparently, had, it had a superb harbor, a very deep harbor. Um, it, was, uh, it, 
it was on what was called the Ignatian Way. This was a, a highway system that, that Rome had, uh, that had built that really connected the west to the east. And so it was a very important commercial area and lots of commerce. As a result, it was very cosmopolitan, would have been very similar probably to Corinth, although not similar to Corinth in its immorality, although we, do, we did read they apparently struggled with that because what did he say to them? Cease and desist. Stop. Stop. Um, the size of it... Um, Anywhere estimates anywhere for 100, from 100,000 to 200,000. So it was a good-sized city. We, we do know, obviously, read Acts 17. It was founded. Uh, the church was founded on Paul's second missionary journey. If you remember when we went through that, um, uh, he he was eventually forced to leave uh, because of the persecution. And and if you remember, my theory is the only reason he left was not to protect himself but it was to protect the church. Because we see that Jason had been dragged before the Polytarchs and, and I think I, I firmly believe that Paul left uh, only to take the pressure off in, in, in the, the, the local church. But persecution is something that they continue to deal with um, in Thessalonica. Um, what else? Uh, what's the, one of the most prominent themes in 1 Thessalonians? One of the most prominent themes is the second coming of Christ, which is interesting. To a church that was suffering persecution, the prominent theme was what? Jesus is coming. What's the prominent theme to the church that was suffering in Revelation? Jesus is coming. It's not escape. It's... Justice, the fact that there is a, there's a time when, when our conquering king will come. If you're not there, turn to 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, every chapter ends with a reference to the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 10. We just read it a minute ago. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So we have... His Son who is coming from heaven. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. I'm sorry, 2, verses 19 and 20. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 13. May He make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Amen. And then chapter 4, um, uh, uh, verses 13 through 18. We do not even be uninformed concerning those who are asleep, so you not grieve like the rest. Um, verse uh, 15. We say this to you by revelation for the Lord who are still alive at the Lord's coming. Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 is, is talking about the day of the Lord, and we're going to look into all of this, um, and His coming. So every chapter talks about the second coming. Which, which is interesting and it's, and it's significant. To a suffering church, this was a prominent theme. Uh, it, it leads me to believe that the church was probably, or at least from Paul's perspective, remember he sends Timothy back to them because he's concerned about them. He's concerned, remember he went to Athens, he went to Athens and then eventually actually went to Corinth and then Athens. 
or was it is Athens and then Corinth is what it was. And he was concerned about having to leave them un, under those circumstances and the persecution. So he sends Timothy to see how they're doing. Um, so he, he, at least from Paul's perspective, he was concerned that this church was beginning maybe to wilt uh, under the heavy persecution that they were that they were experiencing. Um, and then, of course, we know that Timothy came back. We'll read in First Thessalonians. Timothy comes back with a good report and tells Paul, "No, they're standing strong in the faith, their love, their work, their labor, their endurance." And, and then Paul writes back saying how how excited he was to hear that, how refreshing and and thankful he was to hear that. So um, we'll, we'll read that in in our study. So again, it was a church in a, in a relatively large cosmopolitan area. Um, we read in Acts 17, it was a church comprised of both former Jews and, and Gentiles. Probably most predominantly Gentile, it seems as though, when we read his letters. Um, so, what do we find First Thessalonians to be? Um, I, w- I want you to think of this in terms of a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of encouragement um, to a young, vibrant church that existed in a hostile environment. Um, if, if, when you read these letters, First and Second Thessalonians, you're going to find that um, this was a an exceptional church. It really was. Um, Paul, Paul, for the most part, is not writing to correct them of anything. Um, we do have abstain from sexual immorality and so forth, but there's not a lot of correction in this in these letters. This is a church that was really healthy. Uh, that was really vibrant and really strong. And yet he writes to them to make them even better. So it's a letter of encouragement to them to, to, to let them know how well they are doing, but how they can grow even further. In, in the midst of, by the way, in the midst of a hostile environment, keep that in mind that this, this church um, was under a great deal of, um, of pers- had a great deal of persecution and hostility against it. And, and, and I want you to read these letters in light of that. Um, we saw what happened to Jason, for instance. Now, fortunately, the, the Thessalonica was ruled by what were called polytarchs. There were six of them. Fortunately, the, they, the, what, what's the, so, what's the sober heads prevailed? What do you say that? More rational heads prevailed? What's the saying? I can't remember. And then they let him go. He posted bond. They let him go, um, but that's an indication that, um, that that they were on precarious ground in Thessalonica, which, which is is quite remarkable when you consider this was not a small village. Uh, this was a, this was a good sized city. So again, it's a letter of encouragement to a young, vibrant church that that really existed in a hostile environment. All right, what about structure? What about outline? Uh, number one, and, and this is my own, by the way, so you, you, might, you might, as you read them, come up with your own. Um, the first part really was to, to express, Paul wanted to express his satisfaction and thanks to God for the spiritually healthy condition of the church. I mean, he really is, is, is reaffirming to them how healthy they really are. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians again. Chapter 1. Paul... Silvanus, which was also Silas, another name for Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, now listen to these words of affirmation. 
We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing your election, brothers, loved by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit. And you became imitators of us and the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. This is a solid church. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This was a model church. He's saying you've become the model church for others to look at and say, if we want to be like that. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. If you were to just take those verses and say, what do these verses tell us about the church in Thessalonica? You would see that this is a really healthy, doctrinally sound church. They didn't need a lot of correction. They needed some encouragement. But they didn't need a lot of correction. So, this really goes through the first chapter as he's expressing his gratitude, his satisfaction, his thanks to God for a really spiritually healthy congregation. They really were. In ch- beginning in chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, so chapters 2 and 3, it, it appears as though he begins to make a strong case against false accusations against himself and his associates, namely would be Silas and, and, and Timothy. Um, this, this was common in Paul. If you read 2 Corinthians, for instance, a great deal of 2 Corinthians. You know, it's slightly different because apparently in 2 Corinthians they had these super apostles who were saying Paul is not really... He's an apostle with a small a. We're apostles with a capital A. And so he's, a, he's defending his apostleship. And that's really not what he's doing here. Um, it seems as though he's just he's he's answering some accusations or maybe some things that he'd heard that that were wrongly being reported about him that he wanted to reassure them of and to make a strong case against. In fact, here's your second homework assignment. Um, I I want you to read through First and Second Thessalonians. And as you read, I want you to ask yourself. Well, actually, I was going to do this at the very end, but I'll do it now. Three things I came up with. Where are they? Here they are. Three things. What objection is he addressing? So as you read First and Second Thessalonians, when he's writing something, I want you to think through, is, this a, is he writing this because of an, something that, they, that is an objection that he has to answer for, that he has to address? Number two, is there an accusation? What accusation is he defending? Okay? So number one... What objection is he addressing? That may not apply. Then number two is, well, what accusation is he, is he defending? Um, let's, let's look at an example. Um, verse 17. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17. But as for us, brothers, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, 
We greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown or boasting in the presence of the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are a glory and a joy. So is there an objection that he's addressing? Is there an accusation that he's defending? What would you say? That he might be... Is there an objection that he might be defending here? Yeah, that, that he abandoned them. Maybe <clears throat> he wanted to make sure that they, they understood. He didn't have just abandon them. He didn't just take off and abandon them and forget about them. You know, out of sight, out of mind. He, he wants to reassure them that's not the case. I wanted to come to you again and again and again, but Satan hindered me. You see what I'm saying? So read this in terms of what, obje- what objection is he addressing? What accusation is he defending? Number three, what behavior is he correcting? Now, there is some correction. We're going to see this more so in second. You see this more so in Second Thessalonians and in First Thessalonians. But what what behavior is he correcting? We read one, First Thessalonians four thirteen, right? Which was or Second Thessalonians was it first? Yeah. Someone help me! Help me! Help me! What was it? Wasn't it four thirteen? Four three. Thank you. Uh, did he, when he says, this is your sanctification that you abstain from sexual marriage, did he just pull that out of the air? <coughs> did he say, hmm, let's see, let's, what do I want to tell him to do? Um, again, of all the things he could have said, why did he say this? Well, if, we don't know for sure, but probably he didn't just randomly pick this. Maybe this was an issue that they were wrestling with. In Second Thessalonians, we're going we're gonna to look especially at at a, at a problem he corrects vocationally. Um, let me just give you a heads up. It, apparently, the, they, the, Paul had talked a lot about the day of the Lord and the coming of Christ, and apparently they said, why go to work? Why work? Jesus is coming again. It's imminent. He can come any day. If He can come any day, why go teach math? Just quit. Well, he has some corrections. So, Three things I want you to look for. Is there an objection that he's addressing? Okay. Is there a behavior he's correcting? Or is there an, an objection uh, or an accusation that he's defending? Because he didn't just randomly, he wasn't just randomly saying things. There were, this, the letters are what we call occasional letters. It means that there was a specific occasion for him to write. My reading of it, it seems like the overall theme is, is an encouraging. It's encouraging. He wants to encourage a church that's already really healthy and really vibrant in how to continue to grow even further. And I thought, what a perfect letter for Crossroads. Because I, I, that's exactly how I view you. A really strong, healthy church. But how can we, how can we grow even more? Okay? Alright. Where are we? My notes. Theological values. Let's look at some things in terms of uh, some, va- some theological value that we can we, we'll get, hopefully gather and garner from these two books. We're going to see that it, it touches on a number of themes, as I mentioned before. Uh, the, the inspiration and authority of Scripture. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. As one example. 
This is why we constantly thank God, because when you receive the message about God or the word of God, they, 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 my translation translates, interprets the genitive as the word about God or the message about God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word or the message of God which also works effectively in you believers. In other words, that, that when Paul preached the gospel to them, they weren't just saying, this is, Paul, this is, this is Paul's word. They, they, they recognized this as the very words of God. The authority of Scripture. So, the, 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 one of the themes that we're going to see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and chapter 3, the, the inspiration and the authority of Scripture, this was not a human message. And in fact, the very words that Paul recorded to them are the very same words that we have recorded for us. This is not a human message. This is not a human word. This is indeed the very words of God. Um, another theological value is it teaches one true God existing in three persons. One true God existing in three persons. Chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That there is one true God, but that He exists in three persons. Because what does He say in verse 5? For the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. Verse 6, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution you welcomed the message of joy from the Holy Spirit. So we have... Thessalonians, Paul talking about God, about the nature of God, both as one in nature and three separate persons. We see this in 2 Thessalonians 1 1, 2 Thessalonians 2 13. Uh, uh, part of that is clearly talking about the deity of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we also do for you. And the question is going to be, who is the Lord in verse 12? Is it God the Father or is it Jesus? And the answer is Jesus, the most closest antecedent. So again, we see the deity of Christ. He is Lord, Yahweh. Uh, we, we also see this in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 16. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians 2.16. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who has loved us given us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. So we talk about the, it talks about the deity of Jesus. It talks about sanctification. We've already read that, right? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. We'll read the rest of it. This is God's will that you abstain from sexual morality that each of you knows so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who do not know God. This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother and probably Adelphoi here or Adelphos would be sister too. You would not transgress and defraud one another in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God. Again, this is talking about the authority of the, of, of the Word. You're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God at this point, who gives you His Holy Spirit. 
He talks a lot about vocational issues, as I, as I mentioned a minute ago. Look at chapter 4, verse 9. Now, about brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this. Again, he's saying, I'm not saying that you're not doing it. You are doing it. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent upon it. He's saying, listen, I want you to have I want you to be known for your work ethic. I want you to be good employees. I want you to work hard. I want you to be faithful. I want you to show up. From what I understand about employers if, if these days in the market, if, if they have employees that just show up, they're happy. Not talk about quality of work. He talks a lot about vocational. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead, lead you in the Lord and admonish you. Regard them very highly uh, in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are irresponsible. This word... It's a little difficult to translate idle or undisciplined. Warn those who aren't living a disciplined, responsible life. Namely, stop working. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good uh, for one another and for all. So, Second um, Thessalonians chapter 3. Now we command you, brothers, verse 6, and we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly. In the same word, who, who is idle and is undisciplined. And not according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you must imitate us. We were not irresponsible. I wasn't idle. I worked. I worked hard, as he's saying. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and struggled, working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone is not willing to work, he should not eat. Now, there's a public policy for you. For we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. Now, we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that quietly working, they may eat their own food. What is he saying? Get a job. So he talks a lot about vocational issues. Apparently. So I take from that, again, the three questions I'm asking of the text. Is there an objection? Is there an accusation? Is there behavior that he wants to correct? Obviously, there is a major behavior here in this otherwise really strong, healthy church. Uh, vocational issues was a big was a big issue with them. However, the most conspicuous theological value lies in what they, first and second Thessalonians, teach about eschatology. Eschatology. Eschaton meaning end or final. Ology study of study of end things. Eschatology which is fascinating to me. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 2.19, 3.13, 4.13-18, we're ready to do this, 5.23, 2 Thessalonians 2.1-12. This is the overriding 
really dominant value that we get from these books is eschatology. And uh, when we get to those places, uh, um, for some reason, uh, eschatology seems to be a, a hill that that a, most, that a lot of people are willing to die on. So, when we get there, I'll remind you, please don't stone me, don't, uh, don't fire me, don't run me out of town on a rail. Uh, many of most of you know my, my theological uh, commitments uh, based on how I read the text. Um, so, we'll have some fun. Okay? Can we view it that way? We'll just have some fun. Um, hopefully you won't take it personally. We'll just look at the text. But here's what I will force us to do. is What does the text actually say? Or more importantly, what does the text not say? Because that's really the issue. The issue is not your tradition or my tradition. I, I, includes me. It's not what my great-granddaddy taught me. It's not what the church taught me when I was growing up. It's what does the text say? Or what does the text really not say? And that's going to be very important. Okay, I, I told someone this. I can't remember. We were talking about eschatology, and I said there was this guy that I used to. We used to go back and forth on, on, on eschatology. We would debate eschatology all the time. And he said something. In fact, he said, "Well, you know that the Bible says that we that we as Christians are going to reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years." I said, "Really? Where does it say that?" Revelation twenty verse four. So we turn to Revelation 20, verse 4. And do you, does Revelation 20, verse 4 say that, we, that Christians are going to reign with Christ on earth for a thousand years? Go ahead, go ahead and you can look it up. Because this is what we did. Look, this is, this is an example. What I mean is, what does the text actually say or what does the text not say? What does the text say? What does the text say? They reign with Christ. Is there anything about reigning with Him on earth? Nope. And he was amazed. <laughs> he said, I, I could have swore it said that. Oh, we do this all the time, right? In, in areas that are not eschatological. What did Mary and Joseph ride to Bethlehem on? Or to, yeah, to Bethlehem on? Who knows? What do we always have? What does it say? Donkey. It may have been a donkey. Maybe. <laughs> well, we do know they had Hondas. Because in Acts it says they were, it, they were at the upper and they were all in one accord. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, who lobbed me that softball? Neil, I took that out of the park right there. Okay, so when it comes to eschatology, and that we see, in, we're going to, you know, First Second Thessalonians, we want to look at what does the text really say, what does it not say? All right. Okay. Summary. Here's my summary, and then we'll go. Thank you for your patience. How to make a good church better. First Second Thessalonians is about how to make a good church better. Number two is how to make a holy Christian. I don't know if this is a word. Holier. How to make a good church gooder, how to make a holy church, holy Christian holier, and how to live responsibly in the, in the midst of a hostile culture. Well, what a timely message for us. Okay? Homework assignment, read 1st and 2nd Thessalonians every day.
And as you do, I want you to read and say, is there an accusation that he's answering? Is there uh, an objection that he's addressing? Or is there a behavior that he's correcting? Okay? Everybody got it? All right, let's pray and we'll go. Father, we, we are excited about studying these two letters. What a great church.